All right, so growing up, uh, I had a uh, grandma, and uh, she was awesome. Her name was Dorothy, Dorothy Mullen, which is like the most grandma name you've ever heard, right? Um, she was like 612, and uh, she had this, uh, 13, I'm sorry. Um, she had this, like, kind of this, to be honest with you, like a sad kind of neurological disease called dementia, and, and um, I hear that a lot of, like, grandmas and grandpas, they get this, and, uh, and so it was kind of a disease that affected her memory, right? And so my grandma's memory was kind of crazy, right? It would go through these kind of, like, loops. I mean, one day, um, uh, she was, I was Lexington, seventh grade, uh, middle school. She was supposed to pick me up after school. Now, I always knew when grandma was picking me up, like, there was a good chance I'm walking home, right? Because she forgot she would, like, show up to a different, like, middle school. Like, grandma, I, did, I don't go to, like, McAuliffe. I go to Lexington, right? Um, and so uh, this one, this one day, it was pouring rain, and I just remember uh, sitting out like on this bench, and my friends were like, "Hey, you want to ride home?" I'm like, no, my grandma's kind of, I hope, picking me up. And um, and so I'm there in front of the in front of the school for two hours. It's like five o'clock now, and uh, it's pouring rain, and so I just have to. I walk home, right? And I walk home, and my grandma is there. She's like, "Why aren't you home late?" I'm like. What? I was like, are you kidding? Like, you're supposed to pick me up. I'm like drenched, right? I'm getting like hypothermia. I have pneumonia now walking home, right? It was all thing. And, and so it wasn't always kind of like bad though, right? One kind of funny thing was I could always tell her the same joke within like 60 seconds of each other, right? So one of my, my grandma's favorite jokes was, what does a dog say when it sits on sandpaper? And you would go, and she'd be like, what? What, what, is, what does a dog say when it sits on sandpaper? Matthew. She used to call me Matthew, um, like my mom does when I'm in trouble, or my wife. And uh, and, and I'd go, rough, rough, and she would, like, giggle like a toddler, right? And then 30 seconds later, hey, Grandma, what does a dog say when it sits on sandpaper? I don't know, Matthew. Uh, and I would say, rough, rough, and she's like, he's like, just getting, like, like it was, like, kind of funny, right? One actually funny moment um, for me was uh, for about five minutes, she just totally forgot who I was. Just 100% looked at me, and she's like, like, it was in, like, the middle of a conversation. Like, we were like, so, like, hey, what are you doing for, who are you? And I was like, what? Like, and she, she's like, I'm like, what do you mean? Like, you don't know who I am? And like, she was racking her brain. I'm showing her pictures of me like holding, holding me as like a toddler, like us like hanging out at her house. She has no idea. And then about 60 seconds into that, she starts calling me Scott. Now, Scott is her 60-year-old uh, son. Um, I was 14 at the time. And so I was like, Grandma, do I look like a 60-year-old? She's like, no. And I was like, if I do, I need to like better lotion or something, right? Like, what on earth? And uh, I'm like, do I, do I look like a six-year-old? She's like, no, no, no. And so I got my mom in, and I was like, I'm not, your, I'm not your son, right? And then about literally 60 seconds after that, she starts remembering kind of the craziest details of my life. She remembered what a number I was in football. Um, she remembered the weight class that I wrestled in and, like, some random, like, facts about, like, my, my best friends. Like, crazy things. Her memory was kind of like, it was crazy. It was all over the place. Now, I tell you that story because my grandma often would forget kind of, important things, kind of essential things um, that would be kind of just completely erased from her memory, and, and things that kind of were essential for her life, right, and that if she could be cognizant of or have a memory of, that her life would be that much better. So here's the parallel that I want to draw tonight. When I think about the lives of most Christians, I think we too are actually in a very similar situation, and that is that we leave out of our prayer time, we leave out of our Bible time, and maybe out of our study, and, and our daily lives, the very thing that God has given you and God has given me um, the, the, the thing that is essential to our uh, flourishing in our relationship with him, or an, another way to say that is he's given us something essential to actually follow him, and that thing is the Holy Spirit. I mean, just think about how often you think about him, or how many Bible studies you've ever done on him, or how many sermons you've ever heard about him. See, we mentioned the Father. We often talk about him a lot. We, we talk about the Son. We even talk about how important it is to read your Bibles, Right? But rarely do churches talk about, rarely do you hear sermons on, rarely, rarely do you hear worship uh, music about, and rarely are you in your Bible studying who the Holy Spirit is and what he has for your life. 
And so today what I want to do is, is I want to I talk to you about who the Holy Spirit is. It's actually been a question I've been getting a lot um, from you guys. And, and I do junior high school and, and young adults. And so I get it all over the board from sixth graders to 36-year-olds, right? Like they're like, who is the Holy Spirit? I don't know much about him. So thing number one, I want to talk about who is the Holy Spirit. The next thing I want to talk about is what is his role in our lives? And that if you are a follower of Christ, if you are a Christian, that every experience you've ever had with God is actually through the Holy Spirit. And so today we're jumping into Article 5, the Apostles' Creed, and, and, and here it is. It's, I believe in the Holy Spirit. And so today, like I said earlier, we're jumping through three questions. The three questions are this. Um, who is the Holy Spirit? Two, what is his role in our lives? Three, what is our role in knowing the Holy Spirit? So we'll start with question number one. Who is the Holy Spirit? So uh, if you know anything about me, you know I'm probably the only person in human history that loves talking to Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses, right? Like when they knock on my door, it's like Christmas morning. I'm like, come on in, right? I'm super pumped, right? And, uh, and, and so I love talking with them. In fact, um, on, uh, <laughs> on sometimes on our day off, um, we'll be like, you know, going somewhere and uh, we'll be on a date. And literally this happened one time. We were driving through the parking lot of some place and um, I saw a Mormon walk into Nordstrom's. And I was like, stop the car! And like, like just breaks the car. And she's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I was like, there's a Mormon. So I bolt out of the car and I run into Nordstrom's, right? I figure, here's what I figure, right? That they don't mind bothering people for the gospel, neither do I, right? And so, uh, <laughs> and so I, run in, I run in there and I have this fantastic conversation with him and he was converted. Just kidding. But I had a great conversation with him, right? Now, about eight years ago, um, I, I met with some Jehovah Witnesses and um, they brought up a few different things that I've never heard before. Number one, that the Trinity is a heresy, right? That it's, it's an unbiblical view that God exists in something called the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? I've never heard this before. I was like, well, what? Like, I've never heard people talk about this before. And then the second is that people that believe in that are going to hell. And I was like, oh. Uh, and then the last thing was that um, the Holy Spirit isn't a person, but rather it's like this mystical force. And I swear to you not, um, the, the group of people uh, said it was like the Star Wars force, right? That was kind of like what the Holy Spirit was, right? Now, I'll be honest with you, it rocked me. It rocked me, right? Because nowhere in Scripture does it say, Hey, y'all, uh, my name is uh, the Holy Spirit, and uh, I'm God, and uh, my friends call me the Holy Ghost, right? Nowhere in, it doesn't say that anywhere in Scripture. So it, it rocked me, but it rocked me because I didn't know my Bible. I didn't know, the, I didn't know anything about any Scripture references that talked about the Holy Spirit, but I learned a few other things. The, the Bible doesn't actually uh, specifically mention a, a lot of things. Like, for instance, it never talks about polygamy, right, which is having more than one wife. But we know that we're not supposed to do it, right? Like, because anyone who's ever been married would know that having more than one wife would lead to your destruction, right? It would be, it would be rough, right? It would, it would be, marriages are meant to be between two people, and that's it, right? Now, whenever you look in the Old Testament, people were uh, marrying more than one um, spouse and things along those lines. It always ended kind of badly. It always ended in destruction because that's not the way that God wanted things to be. Now, these things are called implied theology. In other words, there's like no explicit saying that this is this or, or, or things along those lines, but there's tons of evidence that kind of leads us to a certain conclusion or to a certain, um, certain place. Now, today I just want to give you a few of the ones we could spend the rest of the year talking about this, but just a few of kind of um, these kind of implied theology when it comes to the Holy Spirit. And so in the book of Acts, actually, chapter 5, it's kind of this story of Peter confronting this guy named Ananias. That Ananias lied to the Holy Spirit. It says this. It says, Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received from the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? And here's our part. You have not lied, you have not just lied to human beings, but to God, right? So Peter is making a statement. He's saying that the Holy Spirit is God. The second thing is, and Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 2, that the Holy Spirit kind of thinks, that it knows, says this. There are things that God has revealed to us by the Spirit, but the Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. And then last, 
because we could spend all night on this, is that there's scripture references that talked about that the Holy Spirit shares in God's omnipresence. That's just to say that God is all places, all of the time. And, and David writes this in the book of Psalms. So where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my beds in the depth, you are there. Now here's a big word. These are called anthropomorphic qualities. I'm sorry for the big word, but I couldn't get around it. Now, what anthropomorphic qualities are is they're basically um, person-like, personhood qualities demonstrated through these scripture verses, right? Now, let me give you an idea, right? You would never uh, give some of these um, qualities to, like, objects or things, right? I mean, think of how weird it would be to say the tree laughed. Trees don't laugh. If your trees are laughing, come talk with me after, right? Like, that, that's not something the trees do, right? Now, the more I think about it, I learned that there are a lot of misconceptions. Did I get them? I don't know, but... Uh, There are a lot of misconceptions, right, when it comes to, like, the Holy Spirit and who people think he is and the identity of the Holy Spirit, right? Um, Some, like I said, view him as this, like, mystical force. Others, they they understand that it's like this impersonal power uh, that God makes available to followers of Christ. But the Bible, and and that's where I want to get us to understand, the Bible declares that the Holy Spirit is God and that he's the member of something called the Trinity and that he shares in all of the attributes, all of the qualities of what the Trinity is. Now you're like, what? Especially if you're not a church person, you're like, you thought Trinity was like a girl in your English class. No, like, let me explain kind of what, what the Trinity, what, what it is, right? And so I'm going to give you one definition of the Trinity, and we may do a night on this, but we could spend a year talking about the Trinity. It's like who God essentially is. It's one of the foundational tenets, beliefs of all of Christianity, right? And so let me give you a quick definition. Um, within the one being, take a picture of this, memorize this, get a tattoo of it. This is important, right? Um, within the one being that is God, there simultaneously exists three co-equal, so 100% equal, co-eternal, they've always existed, persons, namely the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Pfft, you don't get it, I don't get it either, right? And we may spend a night talking about it. If you have more questions about it, come talk with me after, all right? But if there's one thing I want you guys to know about the Holy Spirit tonight, it's this, that the Holy Spirit is God in every single way. Now, if I were Satan... And my ultimate goal was to get people not to believe in or at least ruin the, the lives or make the lives of believers less than. One of my main strategies would be to get churchgoers to ignore or not know much about the Holy Spirit. Because without the Holy Spirit in your life or in my life, people are going to operate in their own strength and they're only going to accomplish human-sized results. And so the reality is the world isn't moved by love or, or by actions that are of human creation. And the church isn't going to be any different than any other group of people that come together without the Holy Spirit. But when believers, and this is one of the main things we're going to talk about, when believers live in the power of and connected to the Holy Spirit, that's where real transformation begins because this is what the Holy Spirit does. If there's anything I want you to know um, about what he does in our lives, is that the Holy Spirit's his goal in our life is to take the information you hear from sermons, worship music, podcasts, whatever it is, and take that information and move it to transformation. That's what his role is in our lives, to change you, to make you into Christ-likeness. That's what Christian means. It means little Christ. And that's what the Holy Spirit's job is to do. And so the question we're asking today, and we're going to have two parts to it, is this. What is the role, or what is his role, what is the Holy Spirit's role in our lives? There's two things I want you guys to know. Number one, the Holy Spirit is our helper. This comes from Jesus' words. In the book of John, chapter 14, it says this. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Or in 26, it says this. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. All right, so Jesus uses a really interesting word when he uses the word helper. The word is parakaleti, 
right? And it's actually, it really translates from the Hebrew into the English as helper. That's literally what it means, but it's the compound of really two words. The word, the first is pero, and the second is kaleo. And it simply means para to come alongside, kaleo to mean to call, to invite to, to speak life into, to guide. Now, I don't want you to miss this. Jesus is giving this beautiful picture Right, of someone who comes alongside someone so closely to care for them so deeply to speak life into their life and bring guidance into their life so that they become all that they can possibly be. Now, I don't want us to miss what Jesus is saying. He is literally saying that God, the creator of all things, promises and desires to come alongside you at every moment of every day to bring you up when you are down to be your comforter, to invite you into the life that he, has, that he desires for you to have, a life of more. See, it's the Holy Spirit's job to grow us, to convict us of our sin and, and to guide us. It's also his job to strengthen us um, so we don't fall into temptation and sin. I was uh, reminded of a study when I was studying for this, of a study that took place in the 1970s by a psychologist named Walter uh, Mischel. And so he gave a group of kids... Um, uh, kind of this interesting experience, this interesting dilemma, and it was that he would give them one marshmallow, and after 10 minutes, if they, weren't eat, if they didn't eat the marshmallow, 10 minutes after that, he would give them two, right? Now, what's interesting is a church a few years ago redid the experiment. I think that's so fascinating. Like, I find that to be such an interesting study on, call it human psychology, right? But if the video shows us anything, right, it shows us that in large, right, we as people have terrible self-control and willpower when it comes to temptation, Right? I mean, our willpower, and one thing we have to understand, is not enough when it comes to temptation and sin. We need the Holy Spirit to help us fight temptation and fight sin. And that's actually one of, that's one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit in our lives. See, over and over, Scripture talks about Holy, how the Holy Spirit is kind of like a power source uh, to, for us to live as God desires, to live as God wants for you and I to live. I mean, the best example that I could come up with was of electricity. I mean, think about the things in your house, right? They work because of electricity. Electricity is kind of this invisible power that gives us visible um, privileges, right? It, it turns your lights on, your TV, your toaster, your oven, whatever else you use, right? And it's all because of electricity. But none of these things work even if they have access to electricity until you flip the switch on. In other words, you have to make a connection before the stuff that's there actually works. And the same is act it's true with the Holy Spirit. So what I mean by this is we have actually the ability to fall out of connection with God's Spirit, with the Holy Spirit. And we're going to talk about that in a second. But before we, we really jump into that, I want to talk to you more about this idea that God's Spirit is with us or within us. And so the second point under what his kind of role is in our life, it's this. The Holy Spirit dwells, and actually the word that's used in the Old Testament um, is tabernacled, and we'll talk about that in a second. Um, the Holy Spirit tabernacles, dwells within believers and fills them. You remember, like, if you've ever grown up in, like, church and with the Sunday school and things like that, there was, like, this, this game, right? It was like, here's the church, here's the steeple, open the doors, and, you know, here's the people or whatever it was. And I was thinking about that this last week. For some reason, that came to my mind. And, and our language sometimes reflects, or at least that we forget the idea that church is the people. It's not the building. Like, Seacoast Grace is a church only because you were here. Other than that, it's just a building, right? And so what this means is the Holy Spirit tabernacles, dwells within believers, is that that means that you and I are now God's temple, that we are now the temple of God, and it's not church buildings any longer. This is like, I need you to hear how like revolutionary this would be for a Jew to hear. Paul begins to talk about this in 1 Corinthians. He says this. He says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, who you have, have from God, and you are not your own? So there's something that I want us to understand, and that is that they, 
we, because it's written thousands of years ago, don't have much of a context to understand what the temples that Paul's talking about here, but the Jewish audience would have immediately understood what Paul was saying. See, there are three temples that Paul was talking about. The first was a place called the Tabernacle. In the book of Exodus, chapter 36, uh, God comes to Moses and was like, I want you to build a place called the Tabernacle where I can dwell, I can tabernacle with my people, I can dwell with, be present with my people. And so Moses constructs these kind of these series of tents. And he did this during the book of Exodus. That was the exiting out of Egypt, right? You've probably seen the parting of the Red Sea and all that stuff. And so these tents had to be kind of agile. They had to be mobile in some sense of the way. And so there were three tents in the tabernacle. The outer tent, the first tent would be uh, for like the public to come and do, like, do sacrifices to. The inner tent, the second tent would be uh, where basically priests could come and, and, and sacrifice uh, to. And then the, the innermost tent was, the, was called the Holy of Holies. And the Holy of Holies was an interesting place because it was actually where God physically dwelled on earth at that time. And it was where the high priest, kind of the, the religious leader of Judaism at the time, was allowed to enter into God's presence one time a year on the Day of Atonement, where he had to go through all of these crazy practices and he had to like take weird showers and do all these things to be able to go into this place where God dwelt because mankind, he was so dirty, he was so sinful. Now, the second temple that the Jewish audience would have understood was a place called Solomon's Temple. In about 966 BC, uh, Solomon constructs this physical, permanent temple for God to dwell in. And then the last temple that Paul is talking about is us. We are this third temple. Paul goes on in verse kind of 20 to talk about this. He says this, For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify, honor God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. And he kind of simplifies this in, in um, chapter 3. He says this, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells, tabernacles in your midst? I want you guys to understand this. I mean, you need to understand how crazy of an idea this actually is. And so what Paul's talking about here is on the day that Jesus was crucified, on the day that Jesus was killed, there was this earthquake that tore the temple in half. And the, the specific place that it actually tore in half was the, uh, was the inner part of the Holy of Holies um, where there was this veil that was torn from the top to the bottom. And what this meant, and there was an actual earthquake, when this veil was torn, what it meant was the Holy of Holies was exposed to all people. And here is what that means, is it means God's presence for the first time ever, ever was now accessible to all people. And what this means for you and for me is that we who are followers of Christ became the temple as God literally tabernacled, dwells in us by means of the Holy Spirit. That is a crazy idea that, that Jews would have never, it would have been mind-blowing for them to understand that. And so the last question I want to journey through today is this, what is our role in knowing the Holy Spirit? If there's one thing I want us to understand all about Christianity is that it's, it's a life of relationship. And that is that because God is, is a relational being, we talked about the Trinity, because God is relational, he has imprinted upon you and me the idea of being relational, um, we can cause tension in our, in our, horiz our, in our, in our horizontal relationships, um, how, how we can have tension between friends and family members or whatever it may be. We can also have tension in our vertical relationship with, with, with God and his spirit. And, and this could be for a plethora of reasons. It could be because of your lifestyle. It could be because of your sin or whatever it may be. But it's possible for you to be a Christian and be distant from, disconnected from God's, God's actual spirit. Now, let me give you maybe a silly example for this. So uh, years ago, um, I, uh, it was like, I think six years ago, Chelsea and I, uh, we were like, no, it was longer than that. 
anyways, it was a long time ago. Chelsea and I, we were dating for like a month. We, just, we took a bunch of high school uh, students over to Guatemala for a missions trip. And it was awesome. Um, it was like my first like mission trip that I was leading and things along those lines. And it was just awesome. It was a great week. I got to know God more. I got to know these people more. And it was awesome. I, I, had, a, I had a blast. Now, on our way back, um, we were going through the airport and Chelsea worked it out, right? Spent hours trying to figure out how she could move people around so that we could sit next to each other. Now, well, when I went up to get my ticket, right, um, I get my passport and things like that, and they said, well, congratulations. I was like, congratulations. like, you got upgraded to first class. I'm like, what? Like, did, what? I've never even been, like, what happens in first, do you, like, do you teleport there? Like, how does it, you know, like, I've never, I've, even, I've only heard about first class, right? So I was pumped, right? So I'm super pumped. I run over to Chelsea. Um, remember, we've been dating for about a month now at the time, and, uh, and I go, I got upgraded to first class. Like, isn't this insane? I'm like super pumped and I'm like, I'm like high-fiving people and things like that. And she's like, what? And just as she said what, one of the, like, uh, uh, the flight attendants or, um, yeah, one of the people, they, they asked, they called her name and said, we needed you for additional uh, security uh, screenings. And then I walked onto the plane, like high-fiving people, like super pumped, right? So I'm sitting in, the, in, in first class just watching, you know, all the peasants walk by um, <laughs> as I'm getting, like, my back massage, eating like a lobster. And... Um, they're walking by. I see Chelsea walk in. And I'm like, what's up? Right? Isn't this fantastic? I'm waving to her. And she just looks at me like she doesn't wave back. And she gives me this death stare that I still wake up in, in a cold sweat at night <laughs> just thinking about, right? It, 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 it haunts my dreams, right? And, and I was like, why, why is she mad? You know, like, like well, I understand, like, why, why, why would he have this tension? Like, obviously, like, she's angry. Like, what did I do? I'm, like, trying to rack my brain. Why would she be angry, you know, at me? Like, I'm in first class. This is fantastic, you know? Um, and, uh, like, this is fantastic. Like, she should be happy for me, right? Like, praise the Lord. And, uh, and then it hit me about seven hours later when I woke up from just laying on a bed um, where she walks out, like, her back's all cracked, you know, like, she's, like, sleeping for seven hours on this, like, little seat, right? And I'm all, like, refreshed and things like that. It hit me. And what hit me was we were supposed to sit together. What an what a, what a easy thing that I just want, right? And if you've ever been, if you've ever dated a guy, you know this happens, this happens to all of us. Guys, we suck, right? There's like little things like this happen all the time, right? So we were supposed to sit together, and she was angry about it. I totally missed it, and therefore we, there was tension in our relationship. Now, I tell you that story really to communicate this to you. You can have tension with the Holy Spirit and not even know it. You can be not even cognizant of it. You cannot even know it, but it's the reason that you aren't growing in your faith. It's the reason that doors of opportunities aren't opening up for you, and it's the reason that you feel distant from God. I love the way that Paul talked about this in the book of Ephesians. He says this, it's in Ephesians 4.30. He says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit. There's another personality or personhood word, grieve. See, the word grieve that he uses here is actually a verb, and it literally means to cause heartache or to cause sorrow. In other words, Scripture is urging me, urging you not to cause the Holy Spirit to feel grief or sorrow as a result of our choices. See, I grieve the Holy Spirit when I allow myself, when I don't allow myself to be led by him, and, I, and I, I follow my own path. When I don't invite him into my schooling, when I don't invite him when I'm thinking about what I want to do for the rest of my life, my career path, things along those lines. When I don't invite him into my relationships, I grieve the Holy Spirit when I don't obey him, and I grieve the Holy Spirit when, when I sin. And if there's something, another thing I would want us to understand about God's spirit is that his, he has a spirit of holiness, and that means perfection. It means to be set apart. And so if you want to know God, if you want to know his spirit, if you want to have no roadblocks in your life for God blessing you and for, for his spirit to work and transform you, then we have to understand that he wants and he's asking you and I to be holy. In fact, in 1 Peter, uh, it says this. It says, be holy because I am holy. So we just went through like a 35-minute talk meeting to tell you basically this one thing. God doesn't like bitterness. 
So there's people in your life, in your family, that you have anger. And bitterness is a poison where you drink it and you expect the other person to die. It is chaining you to a past when God wants you to move forward. God doesn't like bitterness. God doesn't like slander. For some reason, gossip is like a celebrated or an okay sin. It's not. Talking bad about people is evil. By very definition, it's sin. God doesn't like slander. God doesn't like deception. God doesn't like lying. God doesn't like unresolved disputes. So if you're in an an argument with somebody, he's asking you to reconcile with them. God doesn't like greed or laziness. And God doesn't like sexual immorality. In short, God doesn't like sin. And so because we are God's temple, because we are and have been saved and because he loves us and because the Holy Spirit is relational, we must actively work at ridding our lives of sin so we can experience the true freedom of having God's Spirit dwell, tabernacle in you and in me. See, I guess if there's something I would want us to understand about sin, it's this. Sin separates. Sin disconnects. Sin is a roadblock roadblock that prevents God's Spirit from working in you. And it causes sorrow. It causes heartache to God because He doesn't want to be separated from you. Let me give you an illustration. So one day I'm going to be a dad, right? And and I'm going to have this natural desire to see my children make good choices. And if I see them making bad choices that are, that are leading them to go down a wrong path, I'm going to grieve. Right? If my kids were to do some of the exact same things that I did when I was in junior high and high school, and I knew about it, that would bum me out. Right? I, would, I would grieve over that reality. And see, God looks at us in this very same way. He is grieved when he sees you heading down a path that leads you away from him. And that's ultimately what sin does. It separates you. And I've said this before, sin separates, and it causes death. And death is just a separation of things that ought not to be separated. See, sin caused physical death. That's our physical bodies separating from our souls. That was never supposed to happen. And then eternal death or spiritual death is separation, eternity, from him. It's our soul separated from him for eternity. See, if I, if I could get us to understand maybe one thing, it would be that I want you to answer one question tonight and this week. Because if you want to know God, and experience the freedom and the incredible life that he has for you and for me, the question you must answer is this. I have it for you. What is displeasing to God in your life? What is displeasing to God in your life? What is your actions, your attitudes, your thoughts? What in your life that you're actively doing, or you may not even know what you're doing, but is displeasing, is separating you, is sinful, and causing you to not have the relationship with God that you want? And it's causing him not to bless you, not be present with you. What is displeasing in your life to God? I guess if I could, I guess I'll say it this way. For those of us that don't know, and when I say that, what are you doing that's disobeying God? I'm I'm willing to say that most of us have a few ideas that pop into our mind. It could be a certain activity, an addiction, an attitude, the anger that you're holding towards somebody and your lack of forgiveness for those people. Whatever it may be, most of us probably know what it is. For those of us that don't know what is sinful or what's displeasing to God in our life, then ask them about it. The question I ask literally all the time is, God, I'm sure there are ways that I've offended you. I'm sure there, there's things in my life, attitudes, actions, and thoughts that are, that are causing separation from, from, uh, from me and you. And may I be cognizant, may you bring to the forefront of my mind the things that are causing this disconnect so that I can repent. Repent is just an old church word that means to do a 180, to acknowledge your fault and to turn away from it. One of the craziest stories in scripture is the story of David. David was a murderer. He, he, he was the same David that killed Goliath. And that, that's a great story. But if you fast forward into David's life, he ends up sleeping with the girl that he just met 
He was walking on his palace one day, sees off his palace that this girl is showering on top of a roof. He grabs one of his servants and says, go bring her to me. He ends up sleeping with this girl named Bathsheba. Now what ends up happening is he ends up finding that it's his best friend's wife. Uriah, who's off at war, who's one of the generals of his army, by the way, where he should be, off at war. And so what ends up happening is he sends Uriah to come back home, and, uh, she and, and Bathsheba becomes pregnant. And so he's trying to get Uriah to sleep with his wife so that everyone, him included, thinks that this child is his. But Uriah is such an honorable man, he decides that he's going to sleep in the palace floor. And so you fast forward, what ends up happening is he doesn't go home and sleep with his wife, so he's left, David's left with an ultimatum. He gives him a note to send to the, to the lead general of the army. And so when Uriah gets back to war, he gives this note to the general. And the general opens it up, and it literally sends, says, send Uriah to the front lines to be killed. And Uriah dies that day. And he thinks all is well. He marries Bathsheba. Everyone thinks it's his kid. Until the prophet Nathan comes. Nathan comes and says, I have to tell you of an injustice that's happened in this land. So, and so he goes on to this elaborate story about this rich man stealing from this poor man and things like that. David gets so angry, he, does, he declares that whoever has done this deserves death. And Nathan says, you are that man. And immediately, David, when he, when he sees his sin, he repents from it. And that is why that a murderer like David, who's killed, who's, who's lied, who's done some pretty terrible things, is called a man after God's own heart. I often struggle with this. Like, would I like some of the Old Testament figures? Like David, if I met this guy, would I think, yeah, he's a, he's a good dude, you know? But his heart of repentance, his heart of willing to acknowledge his sin and turn from it, ask for forgiveness, is why he's a model of our Christian faith. And so I want us to understand if there are ways in our lives in which we've been disobedient, ask God for it, but with a repentive heart, with a humble heart, acknowledge that and say, God, you have better for me. And so I'm gonna trust you and I'm gonna turn from this behavior. I may even turn from this relationship, whatever it may be. And then if you do know, then you need to ask for strength. If there's an addiction, if there's something in your life that you just can't shake, you, were never, you, you, you and your own willpower will never have the strength to conquer sin on your own. That's why God has given us his spirit. We seem to lean upon him. We need to ask him for the strength to help us conquer these addictions or these habits or these thoughts or whatever it may be. And so as we wrap up today, here's kind of what I wanted to end on. It's something I do daily and it's like changed my life. And it's called the Acts Method of Prayer. And I have a slide for you. Take a picture of this, take some notes, whatever it may be. If you've never done it before, it's awesome. Acts Method, Acts method of Prayer is awesome because it starts with an A and that's just adoration. That's learning who God is, that he is the creator of all things, that he's perfect, that he's holy. And then the C stands for confession. Of light of who he is, this is who I am not. This is all of the ways that I have messed up. I'll spend five minutes on adoration and 25 on confession. And I'll, I'll literally sit there and ask the question, God, how have I sinned that I'm not even aware of? And things come to my mind. And then I have the, and then, then from there I go, oh, there's some people that I need to ask for forgiveness from, I need to go have conversations with, or, or whatever it may be. See, sin is a roadblock. It causes disconnection from you and God. We have to be aware of our sin in our lives if we want to have a flourishing, strong relationship with God. And then T stands for thanksgiving. In light of who you are, who I am not, you have still been good in my life. Here are all the ways that, and I list off people, I list off qualities of my wife, I list off a bunch of things, and I would challenge you to do the same, and then finally you get to S. And that's supplication. That's in light of who you are, in light of who I'm not, and in light of how good you have been to me, this is, this is what I'm asking for. And there again, I'll ask the question. May, may you give me the strength to conquer X, Y, and Z. May you, uh, may you speak to you. May, may you encourage me. And so my challenge for you this week is this. I want you to spend five minutes at each one of these. You could do it one day or whatever it is, but I want you to spend five minutes at adoration, five minutes at confession, five minutes at thanksgiving, and five minutes on supplication. Let me pray for us.
God, I, uh, I am so thankful, God, that we have a God that has punched a hole in the ceiling of our universe and has come down to be with us. No other worldview, no other religion depicts a God that's a father. The one that cares comes alongside us, uplifts us, is our helper, and loves us. So God, I just ask that as, I just ask God that we learn to love you more. God, may we see you more correctly, and may we learn more, God, about your spirit, and may we lean upon your spirit more often. Father, I thank you for tonight, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen.